0: Welcome everybody, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we can be here today, and we pray that you would bless this time in your word, and we pray that you would help us to grow in faith and in love for you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So as, uh, uh, as I always do, going back to last week, it's a long time, I know, I'm sorry. Um, was there anything that was valuable, something that stuck with you, or, or something that maybe came up during the week uh, as you know, from last week's study. I don't see it on here
1: anymore, but Ron and I are wondering if that 7,000 people because of the number 7 was the actual number?
0: You know, that that's actually a very fair question you know, because the number 7 is a number of completeness and the number 1,000 uh, is like... It's like when people say a million today. Mm-hmm. It's just a really, really big number. And I, I, I think that that's probably a, a, a fair thing to, a, to guess, but I don't know that you have to you know, guess it. it if, you know, so it could be, yeah, 7,000.
1: There were like 160,000 on the census. Yeah. So that many fell away?
0: Could be. And
1: we're talking
0: about the But at the same time, I, I don't know. I wasn't there doing the counting and you know, and uh, God is wont to use symbolic language sometimes with numbers. You know, so my my really solid. I'm going to come down hard on this. Is I don't know. I know. I think it's the real number. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if if that is the I mean, if that is the real you know number, you know, I I think that that it speaks to the uh, the how bad the situation was in Israel at the time. Uh, And I also think that it speaks to, it it speaks to how God can take things that look like they're gone, that there's no hope, and bring hope into it. Um, As I like to say sometimes, our God raises the dead. You know, and so as we look at the, uh, culture today, when we look at the church. Sometimes people look at the church and they say, "Look, it's it's dead. It's dying." You know, um, and uh, I'm I'm not too I'm not too fussed really. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not at all concerned, uh, but at the end of the day, that we have a promise that the church will stand forever, uh, and we also um, we we're here. So don't get too bent out of shape. Let's just live the faith and share the hope that we have in Christ. Um, part of this is, uh, over the years, I've, I've kind of taken the, the attitude, I can't fix the world.
1: Yeah.
0: I can work on this part. And so I tend, to, I tend to think small. I tend to think close to home.
1: Mm-hmm. So. I think, I think it was Buber who said, the church can't fulfill its mission if it worries about its existence. No.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean.
1: you have got to focus on what you need to do,
0: man. I mean, you all know my favorite part of the Catechism. I quote it all the time. You know, the third article of the Creed: "I cannot by my own reason or strength believe it." You know, yeah, it's yeah. It, it's really about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, so trusting in Him and seeing what He does in our lives. So, anything else from last week? All right. We are still in Romans chapter 11, Um, in Romans 11 we're we're on verses 11 and 12, so in Romans 11 Paul is dealing with this issue of um, the salvation of the Jewish people and this promise that they are God's chosen people Uh, and yet God's rejected them you know the the gentiles have come in and supplanted them yeah, yeah. and i think he's kind of wrestling with this question of you know where do the jews belong in relationship to the the church and, and in salvation and all of those things and, and so um, paul's continuing he's working his way through here and he says so i ask did they stumble in order that they might fall by no means Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So sometimes when people talk about the Jewish people, um, they will say God has rejected them, he, you know, there's no hope for them... Uh, I've heard all of these things over the years. um, And I really think that when we think about how God relates to the Jewish people and uh, the movement from Judaism to Christianity, that we do well to keep John chapter 9 in mind. Um, John chapter 9 is the account of the man born blind. we had this during our Lenten season, and uh, it is one of those. It is one of those accounts uh, in, in the Gospel of John that really he takes like a whole story. You know, um, a lot of times you have like these little, almost like little vignettes in the Gospels. These just a little short. You know, you get a whole you get whole chapters in John. You know, you got the woman at the well, uh, the woman caught in adultery is a half a chapter, Uh, all the stuff about um, uh, the good shepherd is a whole chapter, raising of Lazarus is a whole chapter, Um, and this, the uh, the man born blind. So uh, if you take a look at the first verses there, the first two verses get us to really where uh, we need to start this conversation. As Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, "Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind?" So the the, the reasoning here is something bad has happened to this man. Somebody else must have done something that he is being punished. Now, you take that over to the, the, the relationship with the, the Jewish people in the church, this is kind of the idea that, that, that's there. Has God rejected the Jews? Like, there's no hope for them anywhere, anymore. You know, did they stumble that they might fall? In other words, are they experiencing the punishment that is justly due to them? Who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus answers with the man born blind. He says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. This came about that God's work might be displayed. And I think that that's a good attitude for us to have when we think about what happened with the Jewish people as Christianity started to grow, and as we look at Jewish people today. This is going on that that God's uh, salvation, God's works might be displayed in them. The Gentiles all of a sudden are are, are welcomed into the, the, the kingdom of God in a whole new way. You know, and you know, I did one of those uh, 23andMe tests. You know, what I'm talking about the genetic things. Zero percent Jewish. There is none of it in me. You know, uh, kind of Sweden and and which I didn't know, and Poland, which I didn't know, and a lot of German and, and some Irish. They were all pagans. You know, they were all worshiping trees and. Fairies and all of these things—that's my ancestry. And thanks be to God that He opened the kingdom of heaven to people like me. And I think that that's the attitude that we should take when we when we start dealing with, you know, the, this mystery of how how is God using this this fall um, in, in order to bring His people in. And, and part of it is I, I I'm thankful. Now. Does that mean that he no longer loves the Jewish people, that he doesn't love Israel? Well, no, it does not mean that at all. You know, they're all welcome to believe in Jesus and to receive the salvation. You know, we all come on the same footing now. And as I was saying that, I probably need to pause because um, the word Israel is kind of a loaded uh, word these days. Uh, because we have a country that 's called Israel, and that is not the same thing um, you know when when actually even Paul is kind of going back and forth a little bit here, right because on the one hand he 's talking about Israel as the Jewish people, but then he 's also talking about um, uh, uh, the Jews versus the, uh, the the Gentiles and the fullness of Israel are all all the children of Abraham are those who believe in Jesus is the argument that he makes right um, and, uh, and and so when we talk about Israel today um, we're talking about a country that was formed in 1949 is that right 48 you know and um, that area that land sometimes we have called Israel over the history of the world. Um, it's also called Palestine. Uh, it has other names as well. Um, but when the Bible talks about Israel, it's, well, in some, in some places it is talking about that strip of land. In other places it's talking about people. Uh, and here, uh, in, in this context, it's talking about people who held the faith of the people of the tribes of Israel. That wasn't confusing, was it? I'm sorry. Um, but I don't think that we should confuse today's politics and inject that into like this conversation as God rejected Israel Um, we're not talking about the nation that's formed in 48 um there are Christian missionaries at work in that land, sharing the faith with both Jewish people and Islamic people alike, because you have a whole uh, whole mixture of peoples that live there. Um, you know, so uh, this is very much on the, you know, do you believe the promises of God uh, as according to the, uh, the Old Testament scriptures, and do you believe that Jesus fulfills them? Um, you know, So, really, when I look at Christianity, I see that as a continuity of the, the faith that was uh, practiced in what we would call the Old Testament, um, and now, as we look at what the way Jewish people worship, I see that as a discontinuity, uh, a breaking, because they were waiting for a Messiah to come, the Messiah has come, and therefore they've stepped out of the stream. Does that make sense? Okay, and that's not a, you know, those terrible people, you know, we're not gonna be Holocaust deniers or any of those ridiculous things, um, but we are gonna, you know, say, look, they need their Messiah, he's come. And it's going to be an incredible thing uh, when he when when the Jews come back to faith. If their trespass means riches for the world, in other words, you know, because they you know, sinned and they didn't take this promise and you know, they, didn't, they rejected Jesus and that brought salvation to us? Well, what happens when they come to faith? That's going to be amazing. That's, I, you know, that's how I read what, what Paul's saying there. And so I think that... Um, I think that this really does encourage us to uh, share the gospel with our our Jewish neighbors. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more uh, as we continue here. Um, Verses 13 through 16. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the, dough offers as, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. All right, so who deserves to be part of the kingdom of God? Do the Gentiles deserve to be part of the kingdom of God? Do the Jews deserve to be part of the kingdom of God? Nobody does. The whole thing is grace from first to last. Uh, And and so I think that there's an attitude of of humility here as Paul goes on talking about, you know, looking at at who gets included in the kingdom, you know. And and so I think for, for us, a lot of this is, wow, thank you, Lord, thank you that I get to experience this forgiveness. And we're always tempted to say, Well, what about. And it's like, No, no, time out. I'm telling you your story. And your story is that you are saved. Thanks be to God. Now go share the good news. Well, but there's this big thing about the, the Jewish people and the Gentile people. What does that have to do with anything? Share the good news. Tell them about Jesus' love for them. You know. Don't, don't, don't get so bent out of shape over what ethnic background they came from. You know, um, as, as Paul is going on here, he says he does this in order to make his, his uh, fellow Jews jealous. If you read the book of Acts and you see what Paul does every time he goes into a new place, the first place he goes is the synagogue. The synagogue. And the first thing he does is he proclaims Jesus is the Messiah. He talks about the crucifixion. He talks about the resurrection over and over again. I mean, the resurrection is the proof that he is the, the promised Savior, the promised Messiah. And uh, and at some point, there's, there's a subset of the synagogue that believes. And there's another set that does not. Mm-hmm. And they tend to kick Paul out. And... Paul leaves, and the subset that believes comes with him. And where do they go next? The rest of the community. Yeah. Because it's for everybody. And I got to think that there were probably some of those others that at some point was like, wait a second. Everything that they're holding on to, those are our scriptures. And so maybe some of them become jealous. And they dig into it. And they look at it more closely. And they come to faith. And again, there's this idea of, if there, you know, rejection means reconciliation for everybody. What's their acceptance going to be rather than the resurrection? And so, I, there are some people who argue that uh, as the gospel spreads that uh, the, the last group of people that will come to faith will be the Jews, and that's going to be the sign of the end related to these these verses. I don't know. I mean, it kind of makes sense according to what's being said here, but...
1: but it, it begs the question, which Jews? Yeah. Is, it, is it, you know, going to happen in on Moss, Or, I mean, you know, will right. this Jew that, you know... It just sort of doesn't
0: work. Well, and, and, that's, and that's a good point because uh, when you go to the Gospels, you know, if a man has 99 sheep and one strays, will he not go search for it, right? Well, I'm, first of all, I'm like, no. I've got 99 still. Uh, but God's economy is different and he goes and he saves that one and then and then what happens? They celebrate. Right? There's more... Uh, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than over, you know, 99 righteous persons that do not need to repent. You know, and so I do think that there is a sense of that in in what you're saying. You know, think your small economy, you know, you can't fix the world necessarily, but you can love your neighbors and share the hope of Jesus with the people that are right there in your lives. And, and, And so, you know, when people come to faith, whether they're Jewish or Gentile, There's cause for celebration there, Um, but I do think that uh, uh, I I do think that part of this language is a little bit of of, of the broader sweep, and and again, you know, your your question is fair because well, which Jews are you talking about? The ones in New York, or the ones in Israel, Mm -hmm. or the ones in Moscow, or the the, you know. there's a there's a diaspora, right? Yeah. There, there's a, this scattering, and uh, you know, I mean, for a long time there were hardly any Jewish people in what we would call Israel now. Right. Most of them came from Europe to resettle that area, you know. So, um, but this idea of the gospel coming back to the Jewish people, uh, it, it it's very much part of uh, of the ministry of God's people. And I think that this passage encourages us to be humble in our relationship with the Jewish people, to be grateful for the gospel coming to us, but to recognize that the gospel does need to be brought to people from the Jewish faith. And there are great ministries that are doing that. Um, are any of you familiar with the uh, Jews for Jesus? We've had a representative here um, I, I we've had Jews for Jesus at churches I, I don't know, multiple times across my career, right? Um, and it's like any other group, if you have a presenter that comes out, some are really good and some of them are like ugh <laughs> uh, and uh, um, we had one who came to our church in Michigan, he was a young man his name was Vlad uh, Vlad grew up in Russia communist Russia and um he was Jewish, and so he, he had this ethnic background, and, and some of the religion was part of his life. And as he was going uh, about going to school in like the late 70s, you know, the teachers kept saying, you know, this stuff about Jesus, this is baloney. Don't, you know, You know, the Bible is just a, a fairy tale. Don't believe it. And it just kept coming up and coming up and coming up. And Lad was sitting there in class one day as a teenager, and he's like, "Methinks thou dost protest too much."
1: Yeah.
0: And he got a hold of a, a New Testament, and he read the Gospel of Matthew. And if you read the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew's full of this fulfills this prophecy, and this fulfills this prophecy, and this fulfills this prophecy. And he gets done reading the Gospel of Matthew, and he's like, "Jesus is the Messiah." And his next thought is, I'm a Christian. And then he looks around and he goes, I'm the only Christian in the whole world. Which wasn't true, but all of a sudden, you know, there's this just incredible oh my goodness, this changes everything. And you know, eventually, Jews from Jesus, Jews for Jesus, uh, did come to the town where he was, and they he heard the message from them. He's like, "That's what I believe." And so then he was able to get connected with some we call them Messianic Jews. They call themselves Messianic Jews. They're Jews that believe that the Messiah has come, and his name is Jesus. You know, so um, they tend to uh, to keep some of the traditions of the past, uh, but not always. Yeah, but they really focus on, you know, this is, our, this is our Messiah. And they're doing great work. And I think that they have an, an entry point into some of those relationships that sometimes we don't, you know, which is, you know, a blessing. Of course, there are people who are, you know, ethnically Jewish that have nothing to do with any kind of religion. And, uh, you know, they might as well just hear it from us too. So, yeah. Um, there is a... a a Jewish outreach that's part of the uh, the Lutheran Church. It's called Apple of His Eye Ministry. You, you know, God calls Israel the apple of his eye. And and so this idea that God is passionate about the Jewish people and he wants them to hear the gospel, you know, that was the part of the naming of that. And there are neat people um, uh, who go about that, that ministry. It's, I think, a particularly challenging ministry. And as I think about the spread of the gospel, uh, I want to take you to Acts chapter 1 and, uh, and, and, and think about this idea of the gospel going out into the world and moving its way around the world. So in Acts chapter 1 uh, verse 8, this is, this is right before the ascension. Um, Ascension Day is Thursday. Um, it's like like epiphany. It's one of those holidays of the church here that just tends to be overlooked, which is too bad. Um, uh, but uh, Ascension is when Jesus goes back up into heaven, and there are all kinds of great things uh, related to that, and um, we should talk about that sometime, but that's for another time. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, Pentecost, right? Mm-hmm. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, uh, we often think about this in terms of concentric circles, which isn't exactly geographically right. It's kind of relationally
1: right. It's a Venn diagram.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, and so um, Jerusalem, that's where they were, and that's the heart of, of Judaism and the apostles are all Jews, right? And so they're they're starting right there, sharing the gospel. They're meeting in the they're going to be meeting in the temple regularly, proclaiming the gospel there. And then uh, Judea, well, you, you hear the word Jew in Judea, you know, it's kind of this. You're you're broadening out to the rest of uh, the Jewish people. Samaria is this territory that was to the north of Jerusalem. It's a territory that was settled with Gentiles who came to believe, but they didn't do things right. They didn't follow the the worship practices the way that uh, they were described for the Jews. Um, So remember that the 10 tribes uh, to the north, uh, they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians and nature hates a vacuum, and the Assyrians knew this, so they moved other people into that land. And they filled that land with foreigners, basically, as far as you know the, the Jewish people were concerned. And they had all kinds of problems. And their biggest problem was with God. God's literally like sending wild animals. There's bees that are, you know just, it's kind of, you know, and they're having difficulty settling the land. And uh, the king of Assyria says, we've offended the God of that land. And so what we need to do is we need to send some of the priests back to teach them the ways of the God of that land, to teach them the ways of Yahweh. And so when they came back, they taught them um, about God and about, you know, Egypt and saving Israel and, and all of those things. But they, they never completely grabbed on to, you know, like Jerusalem is the center of the faith and, and all of those things. Um, this is part of the conversation of Jesus and the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan, okay? You've got the gospel starting at home. It's going out to kind of your neighbors and your family. And that next layer out to the Samaritans is that's those people we don't like. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is telling them flat out that you know, it's gonna go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, you know, which Hudson, Ohio, pretty much ends of the earth from Jerusalem, right? <laughs> um, but people have looked at this and they've looked and, and kind of mapped out the flow of the gospel. And it is an interesting thing to look at sometimes to see where the message of Jesus went out and how it spread around the world. You know, most of the, uh, the first spread is around the Mediterranean. Major, major parts of North Africa were heavily Christian early on. You know, and even down into Ethiopia, there are very old Christian traditions, um, the, the Ethiopian church, uh, it's small, but it's it's got the same history as uh, in terms of its heritage as anybody. You know, I mean, Rome claims to be back to the beginning. The Orthodox claim to be back to the beginning. The Ethiopians can say that as well. You know, and then you look at the way that uh, um, as Islam comes in in the 600s and pushes Christianity out of North Africa and even out of Spain, you know, and Christianity spreads through the Roman Empire up across Europe, we don't hear a lot about what's going on off to the east. You know, we do know from tradition that like Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas, he makes it all the way to India sharing the gospel as he goes. And there are Christian places in, in those areas that we call Iraq and Iran, or it's not very much anymore, but uh, they used to be thriving Christian communities that lived in harmony with uh, with the Jews and the uh, the, the Islamic people there. Uh, you know, and so you see it's spreading out. And then you have the mission societies of, of Europe that brought the gospel all around to Africa and, and the colonists coming to the United States and then the United States kind of becomes the center of this mission impetus and we have missionaries who are in China and you know just all over the place and there's a there's a thought out there that it's going to be the uh, the Chinese Christians who finally, get into the Muslim world to bring the gospel to people because they suffered under communism for so long and they continue to that they're used to being persecuted and they're not afraid of that and they're going to come in to those areas you know Pakistan and, and work their way over back across Iran, Iraq and back to Israel now it's a lovely theory, but like so many theories, we'll see what happens. Um, but it is fascinating to see and to watch how God moves the gospel around. Uh, Martin Luther once said uh, that, that God's giving the gospel is like a passing rain shower. You know, that there are times where it's coming down and we're just being richly delug- deluged watered um, with the gospel and, uh, um, you know, enjoy that. But sometimes in our sin and in our brokenness, um, we end up living in ways that are so contrary to God's word that those blessings, they move along. And I sometimes wonder if that's where we're at in the history of this part of the world. We are still richly blessed. We have the gospel. But if you look at where things are really happening in terms of the growth of the church, you gotta go back across the Atlantic to Africa. Biggest Lutheran church in the world is in Kenya. I was taking uh, classes and I was talking with, um, um, uh, well, he just called himself a pastor, a pastor from, uh, from Kenya and um, I said, so how big is, how big is your church? He goes, oh, 600,000 people. I'm like, no, no, not your church body, your church. He's like, no, my church body is like, you know, 16 million. My church is 600,000. He's the only ordained pastor, or he was the only ordained pastor for 600,000 people. We have about 550 connected to this congregation. We get about 200 on a Sunday, and I tell you that keeps me plenty busy. You know, it's it's pretty amazing what's going on. Uh, the, so the biggest Catholic churches are, are in Africa right now. Um, Pentecostal, uh, all these different denominations—they're thriving, even even though in some places Africa is heavily Islamic. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's amazing, you know, how God moves his blessings about. Yeah.
1: Yeah, i bought a, a book up at Weston Priory. Uh, John Weldon used to spend a lot of time there. Was meditation. And uh, it And a book by one of the brothers. And it was actually pretty rare. And it got the later parts of it into the world church. And his position was... Rome has had its day. Yeah, we need to move the seat of the Catholic Church to the southern hemisphere. Yeah, and it was just you know a perspective I had not seen, particularly from I'm not sure, priest or monk or whatever, Mm someone you know within the Catholic Church structure like
0: that. Well, that that was one of the things that was interesting and controversial about Francis, right?
1: Because yeah. he's Argentinian, right? Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, and and he is from the global south.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember if there's ever been an, another that wasn't European or North African. And I'm not sure that there ever has been. I think he might be yeah. the first. So, you know, but yeah, the, the center of a lot of the, uh, Great scholarship right now that's happening in the church is in Africa.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, okay. Which time is it? Yeah, anything else on that? Any questions? Any? All right. Then we're going to take this next chunk here, uh, Romans eleven seventeen through twenty four. This is continuing this this Jew Gentile thing. Now if some of the branches were broken off and you, though a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not boast that you are better than those branches. But if you do boast, you do not sustain the root, and the root, but the root sustains you. When you will sit, Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough. They were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but beware. Because if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you, if you remain in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off, And even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in, because God has the power to graft them in again. But if you were cut off from your native wild olive tree and again and against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own tree? Um, I remember learning about this in... uh, Biology class in like seventh grade. That's sound about right. Grafting, you know, such a fascinating uh, mm-hmm. process. And uh, and God uses this agricultural image, you know, to help us to understand you know, how we have become connected to Him, and it's in Him that we have life and salvation, and that's something that we receive by faith. But it's not something that we, we get on our own. So the gospel comes to us, and the Holy Spirit makes faith in us, and we're, we're connected to him. And Jesus actually uses similar language in Matthew chapter, excuse me, John chapter 15. And so uh, if you take a look at that, John 15, verses one through eight. I'm guessing these are probably very familiar words for you. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples." As I read both of these, the key to continuing in in faith and in hope and in life is being connected to Jesus. On the one hand, he's the vine. On the other hand, you know, he, he is this tree. He's the root of the tree. Yeah,
1: Ed. Uh, something about that metaphor that he let stand is true enough. He said that other branches were broken off. That I might be grafted in. Yeah. Uh, that leads to sort of a zero-sum kingdom. Where oh. You see what I mean? That the, yeah. And presumably. You can be grafted in without breaking anything off. That's the, the way that the kingdom would have to grow. Yeah. yeah, but he
0: also talks about that with, if they were broken off, they can be grafted back on.
1: Right. Without you having to not be. You having to fall, okay, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But that, that idea that a life that is not yours flows into you because of being connected to Jesus. You know, there, there is very much a, uh, a call for humility here. Uh, and I, I find that to be a major theme in, in Paul's conversations about the Jews and the Gentiles. Just really encouraging humility. And I think it's humility all the way around because we're, we're all saved by Grace. The message of the Old Testament scriptures is one of God choosing his people and having grace for them. The message of the New Testament scriptures is that God calls his people and he has grace on them, on us. Um, So, uh, well yeah, the tension between Jews and Gentiles, it's a regular theme in Paul's letters and it speaks uh, to the current tension between people of different ethnic groups. Um, you know, I, I think that this is something that, that's really important, that as we look out at the world, uh, now as Christians, we are in that perilous position that is described here in, in Romans 11, you know, saying, hey, you watch out, you know, be warned, beware. You know, God did not spare the natural branch. He will not spare you either. We call that law, by the way. Um, that, that warning that sin has, you know, negative consequences. Um, and uh, that stepping away from faith means that you're broken off and you lose life. You know, and we, we're, we find ourselves in the position that we are the bran- branches that are connected. And he's saying... What was done to Israel can be done to you. And so, living in humility and living in faith, you know, as we look out at the world and we look at the the people in our our communities, uh, it's really important for us to love all of our neighbors and to not think that the salvation is not for that neighbor. You know, um, I remember. I remember in confirmation class, my pastor doing this description of a, of a neighbor. And, uh, and the neighbor that he described was a, a witch, a practitioner of Wicca. You know? And then he asked the question, is Jesus' salvation for her? You know, and a whole bunch of the students were like, no, she's a witch. No, that's terrible. That's awful. And Pastor Cortis is like, did he not die for everyone? Everybody's like, oh yeah. <laughs> the salvation is for everyone. And as we look at you know, how we share it, we want it to go out to everyone. So I talked earlier about you know, if you have a Jewish friend and you have the opportunity to share the gospel, yeah, do that. What if you are blessed to have a neighbor who's been you know, moved here from Syria or Afghanistan recently? Is there an opportunity to love a neighbor and share the gospel there? Absolutely. They need Jesus too. You know, you're know, you sharing the hope that's within you. Um, this bit about kindness and severity, uh, it's kind of a little bit uncomfortable for us to think about uh, severity when we talk about God. Um, but I'd like for us to really spend some time thinking about how much of our life is actually the overflow of God's kindness to us. To start to look at our life and to see, you know, where has, she, where has He shown me mercy? Where has He shown me kindness? Where are the blessings that He's poured out on me? Um, and, you know, this does say something, I think, a warning against the once-saved-always-saved idea. And then in verse 23, what is Paul's hope for the Jews? They that they be saved. Yep. All right. Now, next week, we're gonna continue, and uh, I, was really, I was hoping to get to this this week, but uh, um, I'm a little bit excited about this next section because I got to dig into some Hebrew and there's some great Hebrew stuff in these scripture passages that I want to talk about next week. So maybe that draws you back or maybe it's like, oh gosh, he's going to talk about Hebrew and I don't want to be there. Uh, But I hope it draws you back and uh, um, we'll continue uh, at verse 25 next week. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would uh, bless your word in us, that your spirit would let it take root in us and that uh, through the the word and the faith that the the spirit creates in us that we would remain connected to that that olive tree that cultivated olive tree even though we're from a from a wild um, wild breed and we thank you Lord for the salvation that's come to us and we pray that you would help us to always be humble and joyful at the salvation that you've given to us and that you would help us to share this hope with uh, everybody that we give get the opportunity to share it with. we pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks everybody.